Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I don't know if you've ever felt totally unqualified for something that you were asked to do. Anybody here ever felt unqualified? Parents, all of your hands should be up, right? Come on, the first day they told me, my son Eli, he's 11 years old, almost 12, sitting in the front here. When he was like three days old and they said we could take him home from the hospital, I thought to myself, are they crazy? I literally thought to me, do they know how little, is everybody okay with this? Do they know how little I know about this? I remember trying to wash his hair for the first time, first time giving him a bath. And I, I didn't think to cup you know, his head when I was pouring the water. And so I didn't just wash his hair, I just washed his face as well. I just washed everything. Felt totally unqualified for the job. It made me think back to the, the first ever job that I had, which was just a holiday job that I asked for when I was 12 years old, about the age of my son here this morning. And I was on holiday. We were in a holiday town. We had family friends, and they had bought a piece of property outside this holiday town and set up a resort and opened a restaurant. And my friend, who was my age, the youngest of their four kids, he was... Uh, and all of them, they were all serving as waiters in the restaurant. And I thought to myself, that would be a great way to make some extra pocket money. I'm going to ask if I can wait some tables and make some holiday pocket money. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm day one, I show up, I'm ready to serve, I'm ready to take orders to do this thing. 12 years old, I realized very quickly I was horrible at it. Totally unqualified, had no idea what I was doing, it was an absolute mess. And I remember three distinct moments in this journey that all took place pretty much in one day. That's how long my career lasted. The beginning of my career wasn't very successful. I've never actually gone back to working in a restaurant or waiting tables because I just, I decided, I realized at that point, it's not something I'm called to do. But one of those moments, the first distinct moment I remember is taking somebody's order. And this restaurant had like a deli around the back where they sold all kinds of speciality things, cheeses and oils and stuff like that. And I was taking an order and the person asked me, where is the deli? And I don't know what happened, but I completely forgot in the moment what a deli was. I didn't know what he was asking me. And so I'm trying to come up with an answer. And all I can think about is like, I think there's a place in India called that. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. And so I just looked at them for an, for, for an extra long, you know, an inordinate amount of time without saying anything. And then sheepishly, I just slowly raised my hand and point to, pointed towards the restrooms. That was the best I could come up with. Like, and, and I'll never forget the look on the people's faces as they were looking at me going, what is wrong with this guy? And I'm like, I have no idea what you've just asked me. So I don't know. I forgot what a deli was in the moment. The second one that I remember was trying to take a cup of coffee to an elderly lady that had taken a seat in the corner of the restaurant. And nobody had taught me the secret of carrying coffee successfully. I don't know if you know the secret, but if you want to carry coffee successfully without spilling, the secret is not to look at it, right? <laughs> I didn't know that. So like all kids that carry coffee, I concentrated super hard on that coffee. Because in my mind, I thought to myself, if I could analyze the momentum of the liquid, I could assess when it is about to breach the edge of the cup and counter the momentum successfully. This was my idea. What I didn't realize is I was concentrating so hard that I basically wasn't moving. I was moving so slowly 
And every counteraction caused more and more coffee to be spilled. By the time I got to the lady, there was more coffee in the saucer than in the cup. And all the coffee was cold. And I put it down and I, you know, I didn't have any words. I was just like, okay, there's your coffee. And I tried my best. Sorry about that. And at that time, my friend's dad walked by and he saw it. And he picked it up. He apologized to the lady. He turned around. And he said to me, Adrian, you can no longer serve here. That was it. That was the full extent of my career. I forgot what a deli was, and I messed an old lady's coffee, and that was it. And so to be nice to me, they said, you know what? You can go help out in the kitchen. This is the third. I remember. I think these things are burned into my memory forever. And so I'm already feeling like, man, it's not going well. I'm not doing good at this. But maybe I can do a better job in the kitchen. And so they give me some hamburger buns. They lay out six fresh buns and give me a bread knife. Now, like, can you just cut them in half? Like, how hard can that be? Can you just cut them in half? And I'm, I'm already nervous now because I'm like, man, I better cut these buns properly because I'm already like not, I'm like 0 for 2 already today. And so I don't know what happened because at this point in my life, I could cut bread. But the knife just went so skew that the, bread, the, the knife came out the bottom of the bun, okay? And so I basically just cut a triangle out of the bread bun. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know where I go from here. Like... I think, I think these, these are all my strikes. I think I'm out. And, and so I, just, I literally just put the bun and the knife down and I left. I never came back. That was the end of my, don't worry about paying me. Don't worry about anything else. I won't bother you any longer. I was totally unqualified and I felt it in that moment. Now, many of us hear the call of God in our lives, know that God has saved us for a purpose. We've read the scriptures. We know what God says about us. But at the same time, we assess our own ability to do those things by looking in the mirror. We look at our own shortfalls. We know our own mistakes. We know our own abilities. We know the things that we can and cannot do. And we're saying, like, God is saying that he wants to use me to turn the world upside down, to reach nations, to share my faith, to walk people across the line of faith into the, the place of eternal life and salvation. I can't even cut bread straight. And we assess what God is able to do by looking at ourselves rather than looking at God. Rather than understanding His grace and what He wants to accomplish through our, through our lives. When we talk about revival and evangelism and multi-generational impact and turning cities and nations upside down, we look at ourselves and think, there's no ways God could use me for that. But God, what God wants us to understand is the limitless potential of the new creation. The fact that he has called you to rule and to reign in this life. The fact that he has called you to, to, uh, to like the book of Daniel speaks about, that those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars in the firmament. God wants our lives to be a shining example of righteousness and, and, and effectiveness and impact. But we... We disqualify ourselves. We think, no, God has got some super Christians out there. He's got some mega pastors. He's got people out there that can do things far greater than what I can. And so, and so I'll just be a non-participating member. I'll just show up on a Sunday. Or maybe you don't even show up. Maybe you just watch church online and you think, you know what? I'm just going to be a, a silent observer. Maybe an armchair critic. I'll just support in silence. But God has more for you than that. He didn't send his son to die. He didn't pour out his Holy Spirit so that you can just warm a seat on a Sunday. 
I heard a crazy statistic this past week from a recent study that was done that showed that 95% of all Christians have never led someone to Christ. Never. 95% of all Christians. The only people leading people to Jesus are 5% of Christianity. And further to that, of the 5% that are leading people to Jesus or have led someone to Jesus, they do so at an average of once every 33 years they're leading someone to Jesus. Those are low averages, guys. Once every 33 years, if you're lucky enough to live into your 70s, you may have led two people to Jesus. But when we read the book of Acts, and we see how people were activated in their faith and had a genuine call of God upon their lives, and they understood the awesome responsibility that we have to be the carriers of God's glory and the, and the ones who will bring the message of the gospel to the world. We see how every man, woman, and child was activated to share their faith, and when there were threats against them, they stood together, prayed together. The place was shaken. The Bible says they went out and shared the word of God with boldness in the midst of the threats against them. We look at that, and we compare that to 95% of our faith has never led someone to Jesus, and we've got to realize we've lost something along the way. There's something that's not being transferred. There's something that's, that's not being activated in us, and I believe God desperately wants us to recover it. I'd love for it to start with this community. I'd love for it to start with you and I. I'd love for even my own life. This is a challenging word to myself as well. How aware am I of those who need Jesus around me and how present am I to speak into their lives? What kind of a witness and a testimony am I bringing, not just on a Sunday, but in my everyday life? And so sometimes in order to find what we've lost, we have to go back to the beginning, to our own personal encounter with God and ask ourselves the question, how did we first believe? And what did we first experience when we believed in that moment? Do we believe that faith is the difference between heaven and hell? And if we don't reach out to people, there are people that will not receive eternal life without somebody sharing the gospel with them. It's literally a matter of life and death. I have a friend who for many years was a staunch atheist, hated the church, thought it was all manipulation and all rubbish, had a bunch of prerequisites that he felt needed to be met if he was ever going to go to church. He's like, well, I need to know what the, what the pastor says about evolution, and I need to understand what he believes about the discrepancies in the Bible, and I need to have an argument about the historical Jesus, and he had all these things. His wife and his daughter were praying for him that he would just come to church, just accept an invitation. They kept inviting him and he kept rejecting. At one point, there was a special event at church and they finally got him to agree. And so he went along to church that Sunday and right off the bat, he realized that he wasn't gonna enjoy this. He listened to the worship. He kind of like stood there, arms folded, like these people going on about their things. He looked around. Have you ever just like taken time in church to look around? We were a peculiar bunch. Right? You get every kind of person, every kind of background, every kind of, you know, just every kind of everything. And just like, man, who are these people? And he did that. He looked around. He's like, man, they just seem to be simple people believing in a primitive faith. That was his assessment. Arms folded, didn't say anything during worship, sat down, pastor preached. To this day, he says he doesn't actually know what the pastor preached. He wasn't listening. But there was something that happened 
towards the end of that service where he just began to look around at the people's faces. And in a moment, God revealed to him a giant void in his own life, something he realized that every person in that room had and he didn't have, and it was joy. He just began to feel the reality of his own loneliness and brokenness in that moment. The Holy Spirit just came and convicted him supernaturally. And he realized every other person here, no matter what my assessment of them, seems to have joy. Why don't I have it? And he burst into tears, completely unrelated to what the pastor was saying. Burst into tears, cried so loudly that tunnies were passing tissues down the aisles towards him. Shame, man. Give that guy. He's obviously having a hard time over there. He grabbed the tissues and just held them to his face and describes how the tears were dripping through the bottom of the tissues. That's how much he was weeping. The pastor knew about his questions, had heard about his, his you know, antagonism towards the faith, ignored him completely, let the service finish, dismissed everybody. He's still sitting there crying. Everybody leaves, prays for some people afterwards. He's still sitting there. Everybody leaves. Now it's just him and the pastor, one or two other people. He goes up to him, pulls up a chair, sits next to him. He says, let's talk about those questions that you have. And this guy replied, he just said, I, I don't have any more questions. It, those questions don't matter anymore. Those were, those were excuses. What, what I need to know right now is how can I be saved? I know that I need Jesus. I need this joy in my life. I don't have questions. I just have needs. This is what happens when we encounter Jesus personally. When it's not just a faith, it's not just a religion, it's not just a, it's not just a worldview. It's a person that we encounter in a supernatural moment of clarity and conviction. We come face to face with Christ. At its essence, our faith is not a philosophy. It's not a worldview that we subscribe to. It's not a moral code that we adhere to. It is a person that we meet. And that person is Jesus. We meet him through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you can have secondhand. You can't have this once removed. You can't inherit it. It just can't be your parents' faith. It can't be your friend's faith. Every individual, every single one of us needs to have our own face-to-face -face moment with Jesus. And that's what it means to really be a Christian. When your eyes have gone from searching around in the dark to meeting the gaze of the one whose eyes burn like flames of fire, and in that moment we experience all the love and all the grace and all the conviction and all the power we could ever have thought to have experienced by looking in his face and realizing that this Jesus, he sees me, he knows me. And he loves me. There's no qualification on your part except to look at Jesus. And in that moment, to surrender your life to him. A personal encounter with the all-consuming God. In that moment, you taste the utter lunacy of disbelief. And all the, the questions that you had are instantly thrown to the wind. The pride and the self-importance that you cuddled like a child holds onto a little teddy bear is instantly cast away. What do I need to do to be saved? I see Jesus in living color. I experience his redemption in my life. 
And we come to that place where we can make the same confession that Peter made when he was in Caesarea Philippi. This place where Jesus took his disciples, secluded area north of Galilee. Jesus goes, not a lot of people out there, but Jesus takes his disciples and then he asks them this question. He takes them away and asks them the question, who do you say I am? That is the most important question that you will ever answer in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? And in a moment, Peter is filled with the Spirit. He, is, he has a supernatural revelation and he answers truthfully. We read about it in Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Savior, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You've now received something supernatural, a truth, a revelation, an understanding of who I am. And so we are the ones who have seen Jesus. He says, I would that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. How can you be a witness of something that you haven't seen? If there was a car accident on William Nickel right now, the police wouldn't come to my house for a statement because I didn't see it. How can you be a witness of something you haven't seen? How can you witness of Christ if you haven't personally experienced it? And what would you witness of if you tried? No, we powerfully encounter this Jesus and we get that same supernatural revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then we are witnesses of him. We can tell people of what we've experienced. We see God working in our lives. We taste his redemption. We see his restoration. And then we have a story to tell, a message to share. There's a lot of opinions about Jesus, about religion, about the church. Every week there seems to be a new documentary by somebody who knows nothing about the church and nothing about Jesus. But who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? What's your own experience? Last week we looked at how Peter had his first encounter with Jesus, the first time Jesus looked at him. We read about it in John 1, and I, I just wanted to read that verse again from verse 40, because it's amazing how simple this was. It says, one of the two who heard John speak, John the Baptist, and followed Jesus was called Andrew, and Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. So Peter's brother, Andrew, he heard John the Baptist preach, followed him, and then followed Jesus. And so it says in verse 40, in 41, he says, he first found his own brother. And said to him, we found the Messiah. You see, Peter already heard that before from his own brother, but then had to have a personal revelation of it. But the person who became the first leader of the early church, the first bishop of the church, the first lead elder, lead pastor of the church, was used mightily by God, who became an apostle and, and wrote the word, was a simple fisherman with a brother who brought him to Jesus. Who knows the future of the people that we simply introduce to Jesus? Who knows how much impact will be affected through a simple invitation? Hey, you want to come to church? You never know what God might do through that person's life. 
how many will be saved and reached and lives will be changed because of simple obedience. He brought him to Jesus, and then Jesus does this. It says, Jesus looked at him. Wow. Here's Peter. I, I can only imagine what Jesus saw in the future in that moment. Hey, Peter. He was still Simon at the time. Verse 42 says, you are, the, you are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or rock. It's kind of weird if you meet somebody for the first time and they change your name. Like, hey, how's it going? I'm Adrian. You were Adrian. But I tell you, you, you know, Jesus clearly has a different kind of authority here. But scripturally, the changing of a name was a change of destiny. Peter was stepping into a destiny he would never have had if Jesus had not looked at him. And so when we encounter Jesus, it changes our destiny. It changes our name. And Jesus is saying to Peter, it, I'm not concerned with how unqualified you feel. When God looks at you and when he looks at our church, he's not concerned by our lack of ability or our past mistakes or our half-hearted devotion. He sees what the grace of God would accomplish in us if we trusted in God. And in spite of our failures, he calls us. Being called doesn't mean you won't falter. It doesn't mean that you won't experience temporary failure. We know that Peter messed up regularly. Peter's ministry was a lot like my first waitering experience, right? He had a lot of these mess ups and, and things that went wrong, just like all of us. How many of us have had a perfect journey in Christ? No, we've all struggled. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. And fortunately for us, unlike Peter, our failures are not recorded in Scripture for all of time. Imagine if they were. Peter was like, you're the guy, you know, unfortunately, that's going to be me. They're going to record everything. Like, I'm sure Peter read the book eventually, and he was like, why did they not include so many of the good things I did? <laughs> they had to, that one time I denied Jesus, through the rest of my life, I believe, that one time. But God put it in there for us to encourage us. And... There was a specific moment when Peter, he goes before Jesus and he pledges his undying allegiance. No matter what happens this night, we will not abandon you. We will, come on, have you ever made a promise to God like that? God, I promise you, I will never fail in this way again. I'll never mess up in this way again. I'll always be committed. I'll share my faith. I'll do all these things. Normally we pray those prayers when we want something. God, I'll, if you do that, I promise you, God. But Jesus kind of, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He looks at Peter and he's like, hey, Peter, love the commitment, love the passion. But let me just tell you that before the sun comes up tonight, you're going to deny me not once or twice, but three separate times. It's like, I already know you're going to fail. In Luke 22, verse 59, it says, 
After about an hour, still another insisted. So this is the third time this is happening. And they're all saying, Jesus has just been arrested. They know he's probably going to be crucified. The disciples are like, they're going to crucify us as well. They're afraid for their own lives. And so another insisted looking at Peter saying, certainly this man was also with him. He's a Galilean. We know this guy. Peter was, he's one of Jesus's guys. And I love this. But Peter said, man, I love how he puts man in there. It's like the emphasis. He's like, man. I do not know what you are talking about. That's a proper denial. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Look at this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. He looked at him again, not just when he encountered Peter, but also when Peter failed. I believe there was something in that look. Peter saw Jesus' eyes again. He realized his own shortcomings. He was disappointed, and it says, and he went out and wept bitterly. But I don't think that Jesus was looking at Peter in a disappointed way. I don't think that Jesus was looking at Peter the same way I looked at my son Leo when he forgot that the BB gun was loaded and pulled the trigger and shot out our TV. This is why I need Jesus. This is why you need to pray for me. That's not the kind of look that Jesus gave Peter in this moment. I think that the look that Jesus gave Peter in this moment was, Peter, I know you. Peter, that same grace that you experienced in the beginning, that same love that you felt, that same power that you encountered, it's still there for you. In fact, earlier that night, Jesus had prayed for Peter, knowing that he would fail. And he tells him this. It tells, him this in, it tells us this in Luke 22, verse 31, just a few verses earlier. He says, Simon, Simon. Isn't it interesting that when he is speaking to Peter, knowing that he's going to fail, he's saying, I know that, that you're going you're gonna, to, it's almost like he addresses the old self. And he says, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Jesus has prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. You see, as Christians, we can never really fail unless our faith fails. And when you have turned again, how's that? He prophesies the comeback. I know you're going to fail, but through my grace, I'm going to turn you back again. And then what you're going to do is you're going to strengthen your brothers. You're going to use the testimony of your own personal failure as you encountered the grace of God in a moment of deep sorrow and weeping bitterly. And you're going to turn around and you're going to say, I know that if God can save me, I'm the one who's failed. I denied him and yet he loved me. And if he can do that through me, let me tell you what he can do for you. I've had a personal encounter with the grace of God. I have a message to preach. I have a testimony to share. That's why humility is so important in this journey. This is not just about spouting doctrinal truth in some highfalutin, arrogant way just to correct everybody from our perspective. No, this is about saying, God, save me. If that doesn't make you humble, nothing will. Even Paul writes and says, I was, I was a chief of sinners. I do not even, I should not be in this thing, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I have worked harder than all the apostles, although it was not I, but God's grace that was with me. He gives all the glory to God for his grace. 
And this will cause you to be compassionate as you experience the forgiveness of God in your own life. You'll make a comeback and you will strengthen others through that genuine grace. So never count yourself out. In Philippians 1.6, it says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete the work he began in you. And then we see this beautiful moment that takes place. Peter has come back. He's been strengthened. He's experienced God's grace. He, he went back to fishing for a little bit, contemplating his own failure. And one of the most beautiful moments in all of Scripture to me is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Jesus shows up like he said he would. He doesn't stay away just because we failed. He shows up. And Peter's on the boat fishing. And he looks out and he sees Jesus. And he's so overwhelmed to see Jesus alive again that he casts off his outer garment and dives into the water and swims out to Jesus. Can't even wait for the boat to get in. That's gonna take too long. I've gotta get back to Jesus. My Lord, my Savior, my friend, I thought he was lost and he's back and, and he's alive and I, I just wanna come back to him. I never got the chance before. He reaches the beach. Apparently the boat kind of arrived pretty much at the same time. Peter obviously wasn't a great swimmer. And Jesus says, bring some of that fish you've just caught. I've made a fire, let's eat together. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then go and feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you, Lord. Go and feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, third time, three denials, three I love you. Yes, Lord, you know, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. Peter, go feed my sheep. Do not turn away from the call you heard at first just because you failed. For every denial, there is a declaration of faith. For every failure, there is redemption. Take the call of God on your life with great seriousness. He's going to accomplish something for you. In Acts 3, Peter and John, the day before they had a great day, church-wise, Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter gets up, preaches a message. He's full on into ministry now. 3,000 people get saved. Blows the averages out of the water. I'm good for a couple of years. Most people take a holiday the next day. Come on, that was a good day's work. Peter and John, it says they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. They're heading back to church. They're going to go pray. God can do more. God can do more. God can do more. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Listen to this. And Peter directed his gaze at him. Jesus looked at me when I was in need. 
So I will look at others who are in need. I will direct my, I will not walk past them. I will not ignore them. I will look at them. I will direct my gaze. And he said, look at us. Look at us. Isn't it incredible that, it, that God has empowered us through his Holy Spirit that when people look at us and look at our lives and, and encounter us, they can simultaneously encounter God. What kind of madness is this that we get to be the carriers of his presence to a dying world, to the lame, to the paralyzed, to the ones who are unable to walk, to the ones who are unable to fulfill God's purposes on their lives, to the ones who don't know his miraculous power. We get to say, hey, if you want to know if God is powerful, just look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. That's a good expectation to have. And Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. What I've received from Jesus through my own personal encounter, I'm transferring to you this day. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, my Lord, my Savior, the one who forgave me, the one who redeemed me, the one who restored me, in his name, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And what did he do? As he began to walk, he entered the temple with them. Walking and leaping and praising God. God wants us to be shining examples of his grace. And where we encounter people... Praying. Do you know that praying is one of the most effective things that you can do in evangelizing for people? If somebody tells you about a hard time that they're going through, whether they're believers or not, say, hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? I've hardly, in all of my years, I've hardly had anybody reject a prayer. Even if they don't believe it. Okay. I guess, can't hurt. If, it, if there's no God, I haven't lost anything. All right, let me just pray for you. And it's incredible how a supernatural work of God in that moment can turn a generation, can turn a family for eternity. God can do miraculous things if we just simply are available to pray for people, to stand by them, to share with them. If you're wondering, if you're paralyzed and you're wondering if God can do a miracle, just look at us. We were paralyzed by fear. We were paralyzed by sin. We were paralyzed by brokenness. But look at what Jesus has done. Church, I really believe that God wants us to take the grace that we've experienced to a world that desperately needs it. Don't allow the enemy to get you to believe that you've been disqualified. Take Jesus at his word and start walking in the call of God for your life. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand this morning? Let's pray together.